0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: Where people get in trouble is when there's not alignment uh, and where there's uh, very different perspectives and people are not able to talk about it. And everyone's kind of, what really happens is at every level, even from the senior level, is people internally think they know where the, where the organizations going or where the team's going and they're operating out of their own perspective uh, and we don't really have the conversations with each other uh, to really listen and and to be creative you know what, what your podcast is about how do we be creative together uh, and that's really where the creativity comes it's from listening to the different perspectives and um, and and holding the space for the conversations and I don't think Many of us know how to have these conversations. I think it's we we really get stuck in thinking my way is right and then pushing for my way. So I think the skill that's needed nowadays more than ever is to I call it having an open mindset and to be open and curious uh, and and uh, open-hearted open-minded.
2: Bombus. big comfort for everyone. Go to bombuscom slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
0: As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community. And that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. And welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Well,
1: thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate
0: it. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I came across your story, uh, because you wrote in uh, Mm -hmm. a a little bit about what you guys did. And I was very intrigued because of the fact that you focus on maximizing people's potential, which we will get to. But before we get to all of that, I would like to start by asking, what did your parents do for a living? And what impact did that end up having on the choices that you've made with your life and your career?
1: Okay, well, thank you. Thank you. I come from a large family. Uh, There were six kids, and uh, that just had an impact right away because I got to uh, immediately start thinking about organizational development and how people work together. Um, My parents, uh, my father had a number of jobs. I was thinking about it. One of the jobs that probably most influenced me about his career is he worked for his brother, uh, who was a priest, and it was for World Villages for Children. So basically, it was uh, an organization and still is going on today. Uh, my uncle has passed away, but it was an orf- it, it, it started orphanages all over the world, and uh, so that that had a profound influence on me. Uh, my uncle actually is uh, was a priest, and uh, he devoted his life to helping children, helping uh, all kinds of people, but starting these orphanages, and uh, and now now they've moved to centers. Um, you know, just uh, the, uh, like boarding schools and, uh, and and then helping people back in the community and helping the poor. So that that had a huge influence on me. I've always been, uh, you know, committed to like making a difference. That's been like a personal mission for me. How do I make a difference uh, in the world? So that, that had a big influence. My father then, uh, he did many other jobs, worked for the government, um, but he also always had like a personal ministry on the side. Like he you know, help prisoners or, or, uh, worked with the elderly. So that, that had a big influence on me. My mother well, was a, 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 was actually a psychiatric nurse. Um, and she also, uh, had a different view though. She always helped people in the neighborhood. Uh, and, and so, so that, that influence, uh, you know, always trying to be of service, uh, making a difference in people's lives, um, and we were, you know, big family, so we always were, like, focused on family and, and uh, you know, working together. Uh, so, so, I mean, there were plenty of challenges, and like any family. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, do, I do think, it's funny, I, I, I was reflecting on that question. I, I don't often give them enough credit, probably, of, uh, of making the influence. Probably, probably the biggest influence they actually had was uh, my parents did not get along at all. They were opposite extremes uh, almost on every, I used to give them, uh, when I was in graduate school, I'd give them uh, personality tests and all kind of different tests. And almost every test I could come up with, they were both at the opposite ends. So that, that's actually what had the most influence on me. I've, since I've been a child, it seems like my question has been, how, how do we get people who have different perspectives understanding each other and working together? Because they both were good people but they really did not like each other Mm -hmm. um, and they really did not work well together. Uh, So in a way I've been, I've had that question, uh, you know, I'm much older now, but I had, that's been kind of a pervasive life question for me. So that's probably how they influenced me quite a bit.
0: Wow. Um, It sounds to me like faith plays uh, a substantial role in your life. Does it as an adult and and how did it play a role when you were growing up and, and have your spiritual beliefs changed with age?
1: Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, I've, I've actually, uh, have had like a spiritual path. Uh, I did grow up. My family was very, uh, Catholic. Um, I actually even can't believe I'm telling you this already, but I, I actually, um, even, uh, you know, I did major in theology as an undergraduate. Uh, and I even did work with, uh, some cynical nuns for a year doing like workshops and meditation and type things. But, I've I've really grown uh, to be uh, less, uh, you know, the religion. It's but more like uh, more being open minded, connected with people. So it's it's less of a uh, the, the traditional um, uh, churches, you know, are, are less focused for me th- than uh, than being open to all different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Uh, you
0: mentioned a family of six. What are the lessons in human behavior and social relationships and and navigating such a a large group of people that you have learned that you have applied to your life going forward?
1: Yeah, these are good questions. I have uh, there were six kids. I was the oldest and I had the opportunity really early to kind of uh, uh, my parents were busy. You can imagine I I only have one child who I adopted now and I I can't imagine they had six. So uh, I had the opportunity right away early to uh, kind of manage things. I'm kind of a natural manager and leader. So I, I, I immediately, uh, you know, took care of my siblings and then I would, you know, create little camps for them. Didn't have a lot of money growing up. So I would, you know, create the camps for my siblings and all the other kids in the neighborhood. Mm. Uh, and so that's how I kind of grew into my career. I, I always thought, well, why don't we, you know, build a community? Um, so, um, you know, we, I would always, uh, you know, bring together all the neighborhood kids and put on a play, say, or some kind of show and then do it for the parents. And so kind of always, um, you know, it seemed like there was always a community, uh, with a lot of people. Um, and, and there were a lot of, a lot of different perspectives. So I think that's partly how I grew up is how do we manage, you know, all of these different points of view, uh, of, about how things should be and how life should be, how do we kind of organize it? So, um, you know, I I think that's kind of been what I've been thinking about. How do we do that? And basically, you know, I learned that you have to be open to different all the different points of view, uh, and and man, and work not to make it right. Um, and and I think my my uh, you know parents were critical, uh, and each thought their way was right. So I think that's how I th- managed to learn that this might be a better avenue. Um, and we all have different points of view and different you know everyone's got a different personality in this large family, um, and we're all very close actually. Um, so that was something that was emphasized by the family and by the parents. And so actually I'm pretty close to all of these siblings and pretty much stay in touch with them regularly now. Um, but we all are quite different. Yeah. Uh-
0: how did that dynamic of a really large family uh, inform the ro- your role as a parent? Like how has it been – what have you applied as a parent that you learned from the family dynamic that you were raised in, especially because you were in a massive family now you have just
1: mm-hmm. one child? Yeah, no, that was – it's a great question. Um, I think it's uh, – you know, I've been committed to um, being a – you know, it's, it's very important to me to be, a you know, a healthy parent. And to you know, create a envi- positive environment for my daughter, um, I adopted her when she was one years old. Um, so uh, I think I, I do find, uh, you know, I was a bit older parent, so uh, I would, I didn't, I didn't, I knew that I did not want to have a large family. Uh, you know, having even though I loved a large family that I am a part of, I think uh, it's hard to uh, get attention and focus when you have a, quite a large family. So I was, I did choose to have a small family. Small child, you know, just one child actually. Um, but I have supported her in trying to build community. Uh, and in fact, when we adopted her, we had we adopted her. Uh, we went with uh, eleven other families, and we adopted all of us together. So we've created that as a family for her. Even though you know, so she has like twelve other, you know, eleven other sisters that she calls her sisters. Um, she was adopted from China. My daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, So, so I still tried to keep the connection, but, uh, anyway, didn't do it all uh, in my, in my house. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. The other other part of this that I'm really wondering about is you said she was adopted from China. Do you think about, uh, the fact that you've adopted somebody who's come from a different culture and yet there's no way to integrate that culture because of the fact that she was adopted and really didn't grow up with that culture? What of of her, what part of her heritage plays a role in, in all of this?
1: I know these are good questions. Um, that was something we did think quite a bit about because a lot of my work has been around uh, diversity, about creating environments of inclusion. Um, it's something we really did give quite a bit of thought to. And uh, uh, when I, after we adopted her, I uh, took her to Chinatown, you know, every week. Uh, we have took her to Chinese school. I mean, we've celebrated in the Chinese, uh, in different holidays, and we're very open, uh, you know, when we talk about you know, we have different, she learned early and uh, we have different skin colors. Um, we, so it's been, uh, we're, you know, we've helped her to be proud of being Chinese. And we talk about being like a multicultural, you know, a, a an open multicultural family. Um, so, you know, I just, we talked to her about it. i talked to her about her birth parents, uh, even though she won't know those. We don't know them uh, and about, about her orphanage, et cetera. So, um, you know, it's it's something that we're well aware of. Uh, we talk about what her what her experience is. You know, being in a mixed uh, family, and and it's very difficult because you're not uh, when you're adopted. You know, like she's in with you know our Caucasian parents, and yet um, you know she is she is Chinese. So that, that's a, that's always something that's with her, uh, and we're just basically well aware of it. We talk about it and uh, just try to you know think about how to you know, just help her to be, um, she's very open to different cultures. Uh, So that's been a plus how we've tried to create it. But, you know, it's a factor that she, it's one of the factors. Everybody has issues to, to, uh, that they have, that they face. And, uh, and she's quite aware of it when, uh, and she's, she's, you know, very conscious about like how she wants to, you know, support diversity. Uh, So that's, it's been a part of our life, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, both my husband and I, we, we are committed to, and we've always kind of, been focused on, on diversity yeah. and inclusion.
0: So, after uh, studying theology, where did you go career wise and, and what planted the seed uh, for this notion of, of doing work around inclusion, diversity, and, and ultimately, how do you get from there to, to studying potential?
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, well, I did study, uh, I majored in undergraduate psychology and theology. Um, actually, even in high school, um, I uh, already there. I was thinking about diversity, um, and what, what I found when I was a high school student. I know you like these kind of things. Is uh, I, I felt, oh my gosh, there's so many different groups. So I, I started. I, I put up a sign and said, uh, "Do you feel like you're not part of the in crowd? Uh, come to room 101." And then, uh, you know, I had the biggest club I created uh, in that organ in, in the school, and uh, from there we started like peer counseling. Or now we'd call that peer coaching um, and all kind of things. So again, I've just been—it's been probably just because of my where I came from. I've had that focus on diversity and understanding each other and communicating, like from the beginning. So that's how I got to my career. I really tried to reflect on how do I use this interest, and my you know interest in getting people to talk to each other, um, my interest in psychology, geology, um, and then. I, after college, I did work with this order of nuns and put on workshops on communicating, on meditating, and, and all of that. Then I, from there, I, I realized, I was kind of doing counseling. I realized, whoa, all these people are having problems at work. Why don't we change the workplaces? Uh, I was young then. I didn't realize how hard that might be. Uh, so then I went and worked in a company to get the experience of being in a company. And it was an international insurance company. Um, and I, uh, I, I was doing it to see what it's like so I could think of how to change organizations. So I, I kind of think big. Uh, and uh, uh, it was a great experience. I would, I became manager very quickly. And I had a role where I worked directly with uh, the senior leaders in the company. So I was able to create um, a whole office. And it was part of the government affairs. And corp- I got to manage corporate communications. So I kind of very quickly, very young. Uh, was able to move into a management role and create products. Uh, and I, so I just started creating products around leadership. And, uh, and I, I started just getting people together and getting them to talk to each other. Uh, and so then I tried to figure out, well, how do I get some doctorate or some degrees, this, you know, extra education to support this? So I pretty much started doing consulting right from that company, uh, just kind of made it up and started doing it. Um, and then I did find over some time, Uh, I found it was very, uh, this is some years ago, so it was the field of organizational development. Um, So I worked with uh, Warner Burke uh, and found a program at Columbia University. Uh, So I did uh, study organizational psychology, which was quite new at the time, and it really moved into how to do organizational change. So that's what I found, that I just love going into a team, going into a system, and uh, getting people to talk with each other and figure out how to work together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started this quite many years ago, but that, that was my, that was how I moved right from, uh, you know, I worked for a number of years as a manager, saw a lot of, ch- had a lot of challenges of, uh, just figuring out things through being a manager mm-hmm. and having, uh, some, I got to, I just kind of maybe was fortunate because I got to work with the president of that company, uh, got to help with speech writing. So I had a real in real bird's eye view of leadership management Trying to influence a company, and it was a large Fortune fifty company. So I had a lot of great experience there. Moved into then right away. Uh, I decided after working in a company for a while that I would uh, kind of what you. I think what you're about is how do you think about you know being creative and doing what you want. So uh, I I really started my own business uh, really young, 1984. I just decided wait, why don't I just start my own business and then I can stay focused on what's interesting to me? yeah and that that's I think what you write about and that's why I was attracted to you, what you because I've been very fortunate to uh, you know start my own business, and then I have used that to just basically stay focused on what I've been interested in. Mm-hmm. And then I've just taken one by one different areas of my interest um, and then just stay focused stay focused.
0: Yeah, why do you think that we so often, uh, particularly you know, when you're younger, end up with sort of a mismatch of talent and environment and people? kind of inaccurately uh, determine what their passion is. I, I, this is very personal to me because I felt like it took the, the better part of 10 or 15 years before I started to figure out what I truly found engaging. And if I understood this, I would have made very different choices career-wise that I think would have led to much better outcomes. Uh, so I wonder, based on your experience, what is it that causes this mismatch for people?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I think uh, it's unfortunate, uh, but I do think... Uh, you know, I think parents that have good will. I mean, I think it's really interesting for me as a parent, too, because, yes, you know, I want my child. My child loves music and art, um, and I've supported that. But also the other part is like, you know, hey, I want my kid to support herself. So I think, I think some of it comes from, uh, uh, you know, probably parents and society, uh, you know, kind of giving people – uh, were, you know, messages about, you know, how we should live. And, uh, you know, I think that's caused um, like a, a lot of, I, I've coached a lot of people. So I'm an executive coach. So I've coached many, many people. You're not alone. I mean, I would say, me, you know, many people I've coached, you know, just, I mean, there's not enough direction. So this is something I'm thinking about, like uh, people that are even getting out of college, um, you know, talking to other peers about how do we support people to kind of spend some energy uh, on what really is interesting. A lot of things you don't even know. There are many options that people haven't been exposed to. Yeah. Uh, it's really quite a challenge, don't you think? I mean, I think people need to have, uh, we really need to, we need to invite people. That's why I call my company Potentials, you know, trying to think, how do we help everybody to think about what is, what are your gifts? What interests you, and uh, how can you apply them? I don't think it's easy. Yeah, I mean, it took me quite some time. I started like three different. I started an MBA program. I started an administrative uh, program. I started different programs, and I kept on searching uh, to find. And it was difficult and painful during those period. You know, I was even though I had this great corporate job, I didn't feel like it was where I wanted to be. I wasn't using all my talents, and it, it was actually a wonderful opportunity. But I didn't know how I'd get out of there. You know, it took a lot, a lot of uh, reflection and thinking. And I think that's what we need to do now. We need to give. And that's why it's great. It's great the coaching is so much more available now. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't think people knew know how to uh, You know, really it takes some, some work, I think, to reflect and really and then have support, have courage to try different things.
0: Yeah. I think the other thing that to me is, is kind of sad is that the default filter for uh, indulging in one's curiosity is—is is this going to be a skill that allows me to pad my resume? Will it make me rich or will it make me famous? And amazingly enough, those sort of questions of uh, what's the practicality of this actually limit in my mind what is possible in terms of what you might find engaging.
1: You're absolutely right. I mean, I think, and it, I think it's even getting worse nowadays because I, I, I'm here. Uh, you know, even with you know my daughter, I'm thinking, okay, we have to be thinking of this college scene. You know, what what classes do you have to take? I, mean, I think it's really a problem what's happening, even with these high school kids They're, uh There's so much pressure uh, to take you know all these AP honor classes, uh, which are great, but I think that the you know, the we've really uh, you know uh, come to a challenging period here um, uh, for for everybody. Uh, so. It takes uh, tremendous, you know, real support. I think everyone needs support. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're absolutely correct that it, it's, 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 it's a challenge of how we've allowed people. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's happening. I think that there's a feeling of competition. And that's a problem, I think, that we do need to be competitive. Uh, we need, But we have to be competitive with ourselves. You know, we need to think thinking, what kind of life do I want to create? What kind of, you know, what kind of meaning can I create in my life? How can I use my skills? How can I develop skills? How can I experiment and try something, and then uh, you know, and then see if I like it or not? We aren't. I don't think we're we're squeezing people, and it's and it's it's very difficult. So I, I mean, I feel really sad, you know, that uh, for the for for and and it's so many people, um, but it's really not too late. I think that's the message I'd like to convey that it's really not too late. Uh, people, I've worked with many people who have really reflected and, and move, moved in different directions than they, than they originally felt when they felt stuck. Mm-hmm. If you're looking
3: for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.
0: perspective and being able to work with people who you have different perspectives from, how does that play out in an organization? How do we apply that to our lives? How do you develop the capacity to understand somebody's perspective, even if you don't necessarily agree with it? And how do you use that to uh, improve performance within an organization?
1: Yeah, well, I, I do feel that this is probably one of the most essential skills that we need nowadays. Uh, because there's so much disruption, you know, uh, you know all about the globalization, technical changes, uh, and you know, the world feels kind of upside down. I mean, so many, and and uh, and, and every company uh, that I work with, uh, they're having huge changes, need to change, you know, direction. Um, so where people get in trouble is when there's not alignment. Uh, and where there's uh, very different perspectives, and people are not able to talk about it, and everyone's kind of what really happens is, at every level, even from the senior level, is people internally think they know where the, where the organization's going or where the team's going, and they're operating out of their own perspective uh, and we don't really have the conversations with each other uh, to really listen and and to be creative. you know what what your podcast is about how do we be creative together? Uh, and that's really where the creativity comes. It's from listening to the different perspectives and, um, and, and holding the space for the conversations. And I don't think many of us know how to have these conversations. I think it's, we, we really get stuck in thinking my way is right and then pushing for my way. So I think the skill that's needed nowadays more than ever is to, I call it having an open mindset and to be open and curious uh, and and uh, open-hearted, open-minded. Um, I, I've tried to put together uh, like a simple process. To, to one is to show people that first that everybody has a different uh, idea of what respect is. Uh, we think, oh, everybody knows, you know, you should say hello, but that, or you should, um, you know, the simplest things are what get us um, kind of hooked. Uh, if somebody, uh, you know, says something abruptly, or somebody doesn't include us in a meeting. You know, what I find in organizations and in any families, too, people say, well, they didn't include me in the meeting. Well, I'm not going to, you know, they start talking negatively about that person to others. Uh, these are the simplest things, you know, and then we uh, we start having division between different groups. And then a lot of this creates a lot of negative energy, you know, in teams or in, in an organization, even in families. And we don't know how to get ourselves out of that. It just you know we don't like the person and then I don't like them. I'm mad at them and then my then then in a sense I don't op- I'm not open to them. I don't speak with them, and then my reaction creates more negative energy. Um, so so the simple simple thing that I've come up with is talking about this and literally just uh, talking about respect and recognizing that everybody is seeing something different. It's just our human nature given about our backgrounds. Um, You know how you always ask people about their background. Our background influences how we see things. There's so much data available. Because I came from a large family, I see things differently than somebody who didn't come from a large family. Uh, Because I majored in psychology and organizational development, I see change differently than somebody else. So I'm seeing things differently. But I'm assuming people see it my way or I just think my way is right and I expect people to follow suit. Um, But instead, if I can catch myself and try. So the simplest method is noticing my internal signal when I feel like, hey, I'm right, he's wrong. I catch myself, stop, step back, and shift into this other state, which I call the Oasis state, or this open-minded state. And when I'm in that state, that's when I'm more open to possibilities, I, I'm more creative, I'm, and, and that's when we're, you know, there's a lot of brain research that shows then, that we're, you know, we have more oxytocin in our, more dopamine, we're more creative, and we can put things together in new ways. So it's actually being self-aware of when I'm in the judgment state, when I'm closed, and then shifting into this other state, which all of us can do. All of us have experiences of being in that open state, whether it's when we're in nature, when we're, uh, you know, when we're with certain people. We all, if we learn how to have to, to know, check in and be in that state, open, curious, uh, and, uh, reflective, then we're open to listen. Uh, so this, this, is kind of what I try to do is help people to see that we, you know, the value of being in that state, shifting into that state. So I have this little model I developed, uh, called OASIS. Uh, so one, it's just an acronym, uh, it's an acronym for five steps, but it's also just a metaphor of like, are you keep on checking in, am I in this open oasis state? When I'm in that state, then I'm in a more creative, uh, more uh, more post state of possibilities. And that's when I can then have a conversation with others and we can more come to alignment. Um, would, you, would you like me to kind of go through? Yeah, I do. It's
0: so funny you um, mentioned alignment because that literally was going to be my next question is how do you get from openness to alignment? <laughs>
1: Okay. Okay. And then, I mean, I uh, the first step really. Uh, let me go through this little process uh, because that's how I do it. Either I either within ourselves or even like with, between two people or in a team, I use this simple oasis process. Um, so, so uh, I'll go kind of go through it with you because I think these are the elements, and I've only gotten this from years of observing and working with teams and groups. But uh, first, O is I call O for observation. And this is really separating the facts or what we see from our assumptions. And, uh, and everybody's seeing something different, you know. So um, I don't know if you've seen like a, a, a classic study where uh, people are throwing balls to each other, basketballs, uh, and people are asked to look at how many times the balls pass between people in white shirts. Um, and in, in fact, um, while that's happening, a gorilla walks through the scene mm-hmm. And people don't even see the gorilla because they are focused on the white shirts and the ball passing. But there are many studies like this to show that we're all observing something different. So when you're aware of that, you begin to realize, okay, what's my observation? What am I paying attention to? So and this is what happens in even interactions one on one, okay, I'm noticing that he didn't say thank you, but uh, he's noticing you know the 20 things he did for me, uh, you know, and, and so you know, we're, we're focused on different things. Uh, and that's causing different experiences. Um, so O would be, uh, let's say, a person uh, we have are having a meeting, and and a team member did not come to the meeting, came half hour late for three times to the meeting. Mm-hmm. So, so I would then say, hey, I, am, I noticed to myself first, and then later to the person, I noticed that you've come uh, three times at nine thirty instead of nine. A is uh, is for awareness. What am I? That that's really critical for emotional intelligence. What am I aware of? A lot of people are just acting out without really being conscious. What am I aware of? So I have the thoughts, I have emotions, and I have my background. So maybe I'm aware that I'm disappointed that the person's late because, um, so I'm feeling maybe my assumption, my feelings are disappointment. My awareness is I'm, I'm a little, I'm concerned about the person being late uh, and because my background is, hey, we're not getting, uh, I assume because I'm on time, everybody should be on time. That's kind of my standard, my, what I learned when I grew up about being respectful. Um, and then also we're not getting the work done because other people are now starting to come late. Um, and then, so then I, I'm by being aware of my assumption, always, I always have thoughts, my assumptions, emotions, and I have my background, my standards. So that's useful to become aware of that. And I could decide whether I'm going to share or not. And the next letter is S shift. That's when I notice if I'm in judgment. So if I'm thinking that this person uh, you know, I have a judgment. they're not being respectful or I think they're being rude. Then uh, if I'm in judgment, I'm not really able to take in uh, it's, it's okay to be in judgment, but it's how do I act out on that? So noticing my judgment, I could decide, well, I might not know everything. There might be more data here. Let me I, I still can have my same reaction I would have had. but let me let me reflect. And try to shift to being more open and curious, and maybe I'll learn something. So then, for me, maybe I shift. I I have different cues that help me remember how to be open. So all of a sudden, right now, I'm shifting to being. I, I remember I was in Santorini, Greece, on a holiday there, and oh, I feel open and relaxed. So I can get my body, my mind. My you probably just heard my voice even shift. Uh, so I make sure that my I'm open. And then I would be important. So all this is done within me before I have my conversation. I is what's important to me here. Well, what's most important is that the team feels like a team. This person is, feels like a part of the team and is contributing. And that we get our work done on Project Z. So that's important to me. I might guess what's important to, to the other person. Well, I assume that uh, they might have something else going on. I assume that, I assume that being part of the team is important to them. And then what's important to us? I assume that he also wants our team to succeed because we need to get this project done. And and obviously, he's a part of the team and he'll have a good job if he stays continuing to work with us. And last S is solution. What can be some options? Uh, I I might come up with a couple options, but then I'll wait till I have my conversation with him. I always separate understanding or I importance from the last S, which is what is our solution? What are our agreements? What are we going to do? So I kind of do this internal work with my, uh, and, you know, I don't need to do it in every conversation, but with those that are more difficult. Mm-hmm. And then now I'd go back and talk to the person. I would say, hey, Jerry, I noticed that you've come at 9.30 instead of 9 the last three meetings. And then I could share my assumptions. I said, I'm concerned. Uh, you know, we need your input on the team uh, for our Project Z. And now people, other people are starting to come late. I'm trying to be open. My intention is to understand what's going on with you. And Jerry says, well, Ann, don't you remember that I was going, uh, that I'm going to this class? And now I have another problem. Hey, I didn't know about that. And now I say, hey, I wish you would have told me. And then he reminds me that he did send me an email, but I didn't pay attention to it. And so I say, okay, um, well, let's think about it. What can we do here? You know, we need your input. So uh, can you, and we begin to, to, I give him empathy. I is where we do all of the skills of empathy, understanding. And I learned that this, this workshop is important to him. It's part of his goals. Uh, he appreciates that we need to get Project Z done. Um, we really understand each other. And then we start exploring options. So what can we do? You can come, you know, maybe he sends his notes in from somebody else. Maybe he calls us in by cell phone. Um, you know, maybe we change the time of the meeting. So we talk about different options and then we agree, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to change the meeting. For the next three times, we'll start the meeting at 930. He will go and talk to other people about it, and I'll send out an email. So it's, th- these are simple things that you all do naturally when things are going well. Mm-hmm. But these, these are the elements of good communication uh, when you know when, when things are not so easy. Yeah. How do
0: you apply this framework to navigating crisis? For example, let's say a business hits a financial setback or you're dealing with a person who's underperforming. Um, How would you apply it in that context?
1: Uh, I mean, basically, I would use the same process like with a leadership team. So say they're in crisis, which a lot of companies I'm working with are now these days. So um, basically, one of the big problems, say, in a crisis is that people – aren't aligned, that they have different pur- views on how things should be. They're not really sharing what's, what's going on with them. So if I'm working with a leadership team, I, I, I give them this process. And then we simply say, okay, what, what are people observing? Because they're, they're all in different roles. Someone's in the field. Someone's in headquarters. Uh, you know, so, uh, they have, they're talking to different cu- customers, different clients. So O would be sharing. Like, what are you noticing? What are you noticing about this crisis? A would be okay, what do we assume what what are you assuming about it? what are you feeling what based on your background whether you're a lawyer whether you're a marketing person what what are you what are you aware of? how do we make sure that we are open? people are you know sharing whether you know their anxiety uh, how to, and, and I work with people to know how to get into this open state um, and we collectively agree that we want to be in this open curious you know state that's the best way to make things happen and then we go through importance what do people see as important to each other um, listen make sure people are listening I kind of guide that make sure they're listening and then we always agree on what have we agreed to do so uh, we're, we're gonna uh, what are our next steps what who, and then how, well, the last s is what are we gonna what are we going to see you know what are we who's gonna do what how do we know so it's kind of a way of ensuring because a lot of times that's the problem in groups is that uh, people all leave a meeting they all think there has been agreement, but they haven't yet agreed on what's the observation that we'll see from each other. Uh, so uh, so that, that would be, you know, in a sense, people have... The real thing is, uh, once the group understands this, you don't even really... It's less important to go through these letters as much as creating this uh, openness. And that's what, as a consultant, I do, is I bring in the, you know, I feel like that's what I think leaders should do nowadays in crisis is bring in this openness. I think that's really, to me, the key now being an effective leader is how do we bring in, because the world is a little crazy right now with so many dynamics and uncertainty. How do we bring in this openness? That's what leaders, the more leaders can bring this in, then people can relax and uh, have more access to their potential, their brain, more, uh, more, and, and can be more creative, um, and so I think was that was that.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. You? So, yeah. how do you get from there to uncovering people's potential? But more than potential, how do you transform potential into performance?
1: Yeah, yeah, oh, good. Well, I mean, I think I, I I think the way I think about it is like individual uh, in organization. How do we create? You know, or in a community. Uh, The way I think about it is it's like the climate we need to create is uh, there has to be a sense of fairness. So people need to feel like a sense of safety. There has to be a sense. If people don't feel like there's fairness, then that creates anxiety uh, and a lot of stress. Uh, So so that's going to be the first step, like in an organization. And then this issue of respect, you know, understanding that people have different needs and being open to meeting those different needs. There's some people need to work have flexible hours, everyone, how do you create that kind of openness? And then the potential is how do you, uh, how do we then allow people to experiment? I mean, the way to really achieve our potential is creating the environment. If we have those first two things, kind of the fairness, the sense of respect, then we need to give people opportunities to try things. Um, You know, if we're developing leaders, you know, we want to, you know, uh, you know, look for, uh, you know, give them like maybe they haven't tried a startup, give, let them start, you know, as many different experiences as we can give people, that's really how you asked earlier, how do we begin to feel, to understand what we might enjoy, what might be our talent? Uh, we, we get that feedback from others on what other people see as our talent. Sometimes we need that external feedback, like from the coach, from the team members. If I'm coaching an individual, I actually ask around. I, I do, like, would, I would in, I would talk to their peers, and I ask people, like, what do you see as Srini's gift? What do you see as his, uh, is, what really uh, are his unique abilities and skills? What do you see? Often the individual may not be aware of what those are. And then I do more. I encourage other people to encourage each, encourage Srini. Like, how do you, how, are, how can you help him to uh, even do more of this. If you think he's got ability to talk in front of a group, how do you support him more? I encourage people like in a leadership team or in a management group or a team, I really try to shift the energy. A lot of times people feel like they're competing, which is the case, Um, but try to shift that energy into, and I think that's what as a coach or as a consultant or as a manager and a leader, that's actually the biggest thing we do we can change the energy and environment, and we have to start with ourselves. You know, uh, being open ourselves, being kinder to ourselves, take care of ourselves. And we're too tired; it's hard to do. And we're too stressed; it's hard to do. But if we have, if I do believe that if the simple answer is bring in that energy, then enables others to to uh, you know excel and develop their skills. And then, of course, we need to uh, you know give you know, give people feedback. And I use this OASIS process as another way of giving people feedback. And, and because a lot of times people don't have the courage, managers don't have the courage to really tell people, this is what I see you're really good at. This may be not be your strengths, you know, either you can work on it and develop it. But the more we can get people to really be acting on what their natural strengths are. I mean, that's really, you know, you know you've heard about strength finders and other pieces that that's really a, a wonderful way to go. And you know, when we're uh, then we feel like we're in a more creative zone when we're using some of the things that are that we enjoy doing.
4: Mm,
0: wow. Yeah wow um well you have packed this with a a lot of really really thought-provoking and valuable insights uh many of which i think i'm gonna have to go back to and and really review in in detail just because uh this is one of those conversations that just has me thinking and i'm kind of left with more questions than answers which i think is is a good thing so uh i have one last question for you which i know you've heard me ask what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable yeah no
1: that's a great such a great question i think that is really what We're all trying to uh, achieve. I I do feel that uh, that that we need to be aware. People that are aware, that are checking in internally, they have emotional intelligence, so they're able to check in and be aware. And those simple questions like "What's happening with me?" You know, "What am I?" So connecting with themselves and being able to pay attention to kind of the felt sense of what's going on within them, and then they have the ability to be present to others and really. Uh, paying attention to others, what's happening with them, and then really being able to connect with, you know, this potential piece uh, and being, connecting with their creativity, you know, which is what I think what you're about is how do we connect with that uh, and, and to, so basically really being fully present, being ourselves. And, and then for me personally, it's really people that, you know, want to make a difference, you know, want to make the world better and make, you know, and contribute through their presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's, that's really what, what excites me. Mm-hmm. I think we all have that potential. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that that makes a, a really fitting end to our conversation. Where can people find out more about you, your work and everything that you're up to?
1: Okay. Thanks. Yeah. My, my, uh, I have a website on my book, which is called com, and my other uh, website is potentials.com and uh, people can find me on LinkedIn and Van Aaron. Hmm. So I just really appreciate uh, what the work you're doing and uh, the contribution you're making to really, I think that you're right on about potential encouraging people to, uh, you know, to work, to be uh, finding their creative outlet. And uh, I think that's a great service you're doing. So I want to thank you also. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that.
4: Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns, so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum.
3: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.
0: and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you transform your creative potential today head over to unmistakablecreative.com/4keys use the number 4 k e y s that's unmistakablecreative.com/4keys and download your free copy